0: Thanks for joining us and supporting Vickydo Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vickiedoefitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vickiedoefitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, Keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is, what's new? Hot Topics number 65. To vaccinate younger teens... The states and cities look to the schools, summer camps, and even beaches for help. Research suggests that sleeping too little in middle age may increase dementia risk. Deaths from obesity-related cancers are on the rise. These trends parallel those already observed for heart disease. All this and more on It's All About Health and fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicky Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now here's your host, Vicki Doe and D Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks, Bright.
1: How are you, D? I am excellent. How are you doing? I am doing fine. Yes. I ma- have been so busy, had so much to do, had, you know, I've had several webinars, but I had to do all that behind me. I had to do a big grand round for the Cleveland Clinic last week, and I am free. Now I have to work on my taxes. Uh, yeah,
0: that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, I can, uh, I know. That sounds fun,
1: right? No, right? Ugh.
0: I know. Taxes are not fun at all.
1: My goodness. No. And they had the extension till May, but I still got a further extension because I, I had just too much going on.
0: Yeah, too much going on. I know. I had too much going on. Well, hey, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
1: I appreciate that. Thank
0: you. Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. Our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 65. Now, a few episodes ago, that was episode 199, we talked with Dr. Stephen King on the importance of practicing self-care, taking the time to do the things that make you happy. Now, things that take you away from stressful situation and promotes relaxation. And so for me, I love beautiful, colorful flowers. And so every year, close to Memorial Day, we plant our flowers all around our yard and on our patio. And I just love to look outside the window or go out on my patio, sit in the morning, in the morning um, breeze and sun and relax, surrounded by all those beautiful colors. Of course, you know, I will be drinking my cup of tea. And, you know, that's my self-love, you know. So what's yours, D? What's your self-love?
1: I don't know. I guess now it's getting back to trying to get back into some exercise. I've been swimming every day and, you know, trying to eat more healthy. I think the COVID thing has just kind of discombobulated everybody. I know. So I think it's time for me personally just to get back I'm starting to do a little bit of meditation in the morning and those kinds of things. So yeah. Okay. So you got
0: your self love going, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I
0: encourage all of you to um, practice some self love this week and do something that brings a smile on your face or makes you happy. And if you want to share that with us, go to our Facebook page. It's at Vicky Doe Fitness. Vicky is V-I-C-K-I. Vicky Doe Fitness. Or that's our Facebook page or our Twitter page. You can go at Vicky Doe Fitness and tell us um, or show us pictures of what you call your self love moments. And so I can't wait to hear from you. Now, make sure, guys, make sure you subscribe to this podcast show. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Tune in or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. And when you subscribe to this show, you will be notified when we post a new show and you will be able to listen to our inspirational and motivational health and wellness shows as soon as they are posted. So make sure you go and subscribe today and share. Tell your friends and family to do the same as well. Don't keep all that good stuff for yourselves now. Come on, make sure you share. (laughs) That's it. Now, also, go to our resources page, vickydofitnesscom forward slash resources. There you will find products and services that will be helpful to you as you embrace a life of health and fitness. We have a variety of items on our resources list for you to check out and try. We have Reebok, Warby Parker, Polar, iRemedy Healthcare, iRemedyHealthcare.com is where I go and, and get all our mass, our disinfection stuff, disinfected stuff, or whatever you call it, the, the Clorox and the Lysol and all that kind of stuff on there. But then they have other things as well pertaining to health care on that website. And it comes to you quickly. There's the right stuff. We have the right stuff. Uh, medical supplies for the caregiver. That is on that resources page, Art of Tea, My Lab Box. Check that out, ecolunchbox.com, and much, much more on our resources page. But let's talk about Art of Tea. As all of you know, I love tea. And so if you hang out with me in the office at functions and events, you know, I'm definitely down for a good cup of tea. And so if you love tea as well, Art of Tea is definitely up your alley, you know, and this is a website that I want you to go to. They have quality organic teas and botanicals. Arda Tea is a tea importer and wholesaler based in Los Angeles, California, where they hand blend and custom craft the world's finest organic teas and botanicals. And so, yes, their teas are carefully selected directly from growers, each one offering a unique story. They combine aesthetics with passion, flavor, and high-quality control to create a delicious tea experience. So Art of Tea believes that they can touch many lives through tea. And they have wonderful tea blends, such as white coconut cream, rose black tea, and a cleanse tea, which is a combination of green tea, Cinna uh, and pomegranate tea. They have wonderful flavors that you will certainly enjoy. And so I encourage all of you to go and check out Art of Tea. Go to our resources page, vikidoefitness.com forward slash resources, and you will be able to check out and go directly into the website Art of Tea. And remember, when you use any of the affiliate links to buy any of the products and services on our resources page, you are supporting us here at Vicky Doe Fitness. And as always, what do we say, Dee? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Yeah, Dee, well, it's summertime, you know, and like I said, I got my flowers planted and getting my um, patio furniture clean and all that good stuff. <laughs> nice. So you, you getting um, your flowers and all that stuff out?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I got my, my, I bought, unfortunately, I bought way too many. I've got tons of flower pots and stuff. And I even bought some, some vegetables. I hadn't done that for uh, about, well, I didn't do it last, but I bought some peppers and tomatoes to try to see what I could do. And this time I put them inside, a, you know, an enclosed area because I'm just not into chasing animals. So
0: I know, I'm I'm right.
1: i hoping that it will work. But, yeah, petunias and begonias and geraniums and, you know, my mood is lifted with flowers. I was in North Carolina visiting my mom over the weekend and my daughter Mary, and I helped her plant some flowers. Okay. So the flowers just kind well, of uplift your mood. I don't even like to have fresh-cut flowers in my house.
0: I know, I know. It does up your mood, relaxation. It does. De stress, yeah, de stress you out
1: exactly, exactly.
0: All of that, yes, yes. Yeah. So, I see your week. I was going to ask you how your week was, but you were visiting, huh?
1: Yeah, I went to North Carolina to visit my 103 and a half year old mother.
0: Wow, <laughs> doing
1: good, you know, she's all vaccinated up. not seen any of them since October, you know, because everybody really wanted to social distance, and my mother's her age, and you know, you underlying conditions. Nobody wanted to put her in any kind of harm's way. So, but the problem is when i was down in North Carolina, I, I have a lot of people who just said they take thrown caution to the wind and said, well, I'm not, you know, even if it's not like Ohio, June the 2nd, I don't know what it is in North Carolina, they're not wearing masks. I know. There a lot of people not wearing it that have just said the heck with it. And especially here in Ohio when Governor DeWine has said what?
0: june the second yeah june the second no more mask mandate people were
1: like well it's already it's june the second somewhere in the world i guess that's what
0: they do yeah that's crazy
1: that's somewhere in the world
0: so yeah well like i tell folks you know because they they're growing you know people aren't wearing their masks, this and that and the other they're not getting vaccinated and i say you know what at the end of the day That's their problem. I'm vaccinated, so at least I'm at least 95%, 98% protected. So that's them that's not going to be protected if they don't have anything, right? Exactly. Because COVID is still here.
1: COVID is still here. We're still admitting patients to the hospital. We have, in all three hospitals, 47 COVID patients. Wow. Too high. One patient is too many, and a lot of these people have not been vaccinated. That's the problem.
0: That's the problem. They haven't been vaccinated. I
1: think the fire burns. I don't think they think the fire burns. Fire is hot.
0: Fire is hot. Over? Yeah, it's not over. It's
1: not over.
0: Uh-uh. It is not over. That's their problem. Hopefully, you know. That's on them. That's on them. Hopefully, you know, they will change their minds. Oh, uh, no. Hopefully, they'll change their minds. Hopefully. Okay. (laughs) Hopefully. I
1: mean, hopefully. But I'm also hoping that for the people that are not getting vaccinated, that there'll be enough people vaccinated around them that will keep the virus so that we can get herd immunity. Because if we have a certain critical mass of people that are vaccinated, the virus really won't have too many places to go.
0: Okay. So hopefully, right? Keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully. Exactly. That's it. So, what is going on this week? Everything. Everything. Well, I thought this was pretty cool. Amazon buys. That's today. I just saw that today. That's today. Amazon buys MGM. Yeah. Going on? Well, this is hot off the press. It's a. It says in a mega media deal, Amazon buys MGM, and so it's because of james bond they say james bond meet jeff bezos okay so amazon is investing even more heavily, this is what the article said. This was off of um, CNN business. So, Amazon is investing even more heavily in growing its position in the entertainment world. The company announced Wednesday that it made a deal to acquire MGM, the home of James Bond and one of the most iconic movie studios in Hollywood. And so, the deal, which is valued at eight point four five billion dollars mm. that's a lot of money right <laughs> that's with a b that's, that's with a b as a boy that's with a b as in boy right gives amazon so the deal gives amazon an extensive library of film and tv shows that it can use to fill out its prime video content coffers and so mgm has a catalog of more than 4,000 films and 17,000 TV shows. And this was said according to Mike Hopkins, who heads the Prime Video and Amazon Studios. And so he said the real financial value behind this deal is the treasure trough of IP in the deep catalog that we plan to reimagine. And developed together with MGM's talented team. It's very exciting and provides some many opportunities for high quality storytelling. He's also stated that these two companies' completion of the deal is subject to regulatory up, uh, approvals and other customary closing conditions. And so the article goes on to say that even though streaming is a small part of Amazon's empire, the company has focused on becoming a more prominent player in the entertainment world as of late. For example, a highly anticipated series based on The Lord of the Rings is in the works. Prime Video. Which also features original and award-winning shows such as "Did you see the marvelous Mrs. What?" "Did not neither. Is it Misel? So the marvelous Mrs. Mize. Well, didn't they? Didn't that one win an award? Yeah, it said award-winning. Uh huh. Yeah. Was it an Oscar or a? Uh, I, or the... I'm trying to. Say, I think it was a, a Golden Globe that it won. Golden Globe, okay. That is tied to Amazon's popular Prime program and so it offers faster delivery this Prime Video and Prime Video has more than 200 million paid subscribers and so they want to be in competition with um, Netflix because Netflix has 208 million subscribers so you know you can continue on and read the article but basically yeah they trying to make some deals so that they can you know get more uh, wonderful content for their Prime Video. That's Amazon. So, okay. Well, I
1: don't know if you've heard this new, I've heard about this new Underground Railroad series. What's it called? It's uh, Colson Whitehead, who's a, a double Pulitzer Prize winning author, wrote a book called The Underground Railroad, and so these uh, directors and producers have put out a 10-part series called The Underground Railroad, and that's coming from Prime Video. not. the so Supposedly, there are parts of it that are very, very difficult to watch, talking about slavery and all of that. But that's an example of Prime videos trying to make a mark for itself. And like Netflix, you know, building a Netflix, is just gone run away with all the awards. And the Emmy, I mean, the, the uh, Golden Globes, and Oscars and all of that. So I think Amazon... Prime Video is trying to position itself to be in that same position. So I have not watched it yet. They say you have to be kind of in a, a, a frame of mind. Like, remember that movie, Twelve Years Plays? Yeah, which I didn't. I mean, there are some movies I don't see again. I
0: didn't even watch it.
1: it really need to see. Well, you might not want to watch the Underground Railroad because I hear it. I bought the book. Oh. I'm probably going to read the book. From what I can gather from some of the scenes, it's pretty brutal. Okay. Yeah, there, to position themselves like Netflix, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, they're trying to be like Netflix. You're right. Amazon, what yeah. is it? Prime Video? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's the latest. That's, like you said, that's hot on the that's press. Hot
1: off the press. It just came out today. I just saw it this morning. Okay. Yeah, that just came out today. So, we well, will see. Like I said, I'm just looking at their report. because these kinds of numbers make it a competitor to the likes of Netflix, like I just said. Yep. And Two hundred and eight million subscribers. So I didn't even see that, but that's what I was saying. They're trying to position themselves with Netflix.
0: So there you have it. Yeah. So there you have it. That's
1: it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we always try to at least
1: have some type
0: of health tip. And so this health tip comes this health tip comes from the idea fitness journal and it says muscle cells may combat chronic inflammation. Early research may point to underlying mechanisms for muscle's anti-inflammatory properties. This is a short little, they always have short little news pieces and so forth in their fitness journal. And this this was in the May-June 2021 journal. And it says why regular exercise reduces systemic inflammation and promotes a healthy immune system may soon come into focus and offer insight into how much and what type of exercise may help. Numerous studies have shown that exercise can have an anti-inflammatory effect, but pioneering research by Duke University scientists in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, may point to the underlying mechanisms. According to findings reported in Science Advances, muscles that experience exercise appear to have an innate ability to reduce inflammation. Scientists conducted the study with lab-grown, engineered human muscle and salt, in particular, to examine the role of a pro-inflammatory molecule, interferon gamma, that has been associated with muscle wasting and dysfunction. Now, this was said by the lead study author, Zoe Chan. He said, we know that chronic inflammatory diseases include muscle atrophy, but we wanted to see if the same thing would happen to our engineered human muscles grown in Petri dish. And he's the lead study author, a postdoctoral researcher in biomedical engineering. He also said, not only did we confirm that interferon gamma primarily works through a specific signaling pathway, we showed that exercising muscle cells can directly counter this Pro inflammatory signaling independent of the presence of other cell types or tissues. This was said by Ninaan Burzak, a professor of biomedical engineering at Duke University. He said when exercising, the muscle cells themselves were directly opposing the pro inflammatory signal induced by interferon gamma which we did not expect to happen. He added, there are notions out there that optimal levels and regimens of exercise could fight chronic inflammation while not overstressing the cells. So maybe with other engineered muscle, we can help find out if such notions are true. So yeah, they looking at muscles, you know, and trying to see if just exercising, exercising our muscles, if it combats these chronic inflammatory cells. Wow. Or these inflammatory signals, you know? Well, you know, the
1: inflammatory process, I was going to be, in fact, this year I was in Red, I was going to do a lecture on the inflammatory process because you're just learning so many new things about the inflammatory response with just so many organs. So that's a very interesting article. Yeah.
0: So it goes back to exercise is medicine.
1: <laughs> yep. It is. It is.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: like I said, it's just nothing like getting back in there because you, you do feel those endorphins going off. I mean, you go there and you're like, oh, I don't feel like you. I don't feel like this But then after you're done, you're like a sense of accomplishment, right? Right. Yes.
0: You feel good. Your
1: body feels good, yeah. too. Yeah. And there's so many diseases that we don't know a lot about, and many of them, they think, are as a result of a chronic inflammatory process.
0: That's it.
1: They're still learning about it, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this is great that they're in there looking at the research, and so, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Dee. It may end up being that an antibiotic will be the cure for everything. Hey, there (laughs) it is, right? (laughs) Yeah, you know.
0: Hey. <laughs> okay, well, the latest, D, what's the latest? There was an article yeah. that you wanted uh, to talk about.
1: Yeah, there was an article. Uh, I guess it's been now about three weeks ago that Pfizer gave emergency use authorization for the use of the Pfizer vaccine for those individuals from 12 to 16. Yesterday, Moderna gave emergency use authorization for their vaccine from 12 to Seventeen, you know, in these teams. This is an article that says to vaccinate young teens, states, and cities, schools, camps, even beaches. And so, FDA's authorization of Pfizer vaccine shot for 12, 15-year-olds is a milestone in battling the coronavirus. But actually, getting them vaccinated involves challenges, which you know we knew. The race is on to vaccinate about 17 million 12, 15 against COVID, and the FDA's decision to authorize the Pfizer vaccine for young adolescents presents a new opportunity to push for broad immunity against the coronavirus in the United States. But the challenges of getting them vaccinated are more complicated than for adults and teenagers. The game changes to go down as young as 12, said Nathan Quisnell, superintendent of schools from East Hartford, adding that you need to have a different level of sensitivity. A recent survey by the Kaiser Foundation any parents, some who eagerly got their own COVID shot, were rel- reluctant to give it to their children. Mm-hmm. Doing so will be critical for further reducing the transmission of the virus. Remember, I said there are about 17 million people now in this group, smoothly reopening middle and high schools and regaining some sense of national normal. Mm-hmm. Vaccination for the group is expected to begin across the country. Well, it already had started a couple weeks ago. So. Sites are anticipating an initial surge in demand before an inevitable soft. what happens to adults. You know, we saw a big surge of vaccinations. and now things have kind of leveled off. For vaccination for the age state, counties, and school districts around the country, trying to figure it out and, and figure out the most reassuring and convenient ways to get the younger adults vaccinated, and it requires consent from the parents. they're making plans to offer vaccines not only at schools, but physicians offices, day camps, parks. In Minnesota, where well, I used to, to uh. Minnesota, a Minneapolis-based hospital where the main COVID vaccine site has offered dress balls, colored light, uh, images of playful dogs projected on the ceiling. They're planning to provide shots a dozen middle schools and the YWCA. Some mm. Ohio, mm. they're taking a mobile unit around the neighborhood to vaccinate young, young people. In Connecticut, community health center, a statewide primary care provider that vaccinated the bus goes to high school seniors is aiming to reach younger adults by offering shots to amusement parks, beach camp, and other locales. You're going to Dollar General, said that. High Smith Francis, the vice president of community health. Guess what? We're in the parking lot, but what's Full year ending soon, many health officials are racing against the academic clock schedule. Both recommended those same schools as the best place to reach the students at once. We have a finite amount of time, to chief medical officer of Alaska. Alaska kids go to the wind as soon as, I don't know what that means, go to the wind as soon as summer hits.
0: Go Fox to the wind.
1: Now, some a places are up vaccination efforts in Colorado. Denver. they're going to expand operation six public schools in six public schools to middle schools. It's really been successful because we're doing it in the communities where the kids are familiar. So Dr. Sonia O'Leary, the medical director for Denver Health School-Based Health Centers, and a lot of states feel that the center of really should be the pediatricians and family medicine offices because that's where a lot of parents care of their Children, and adole- you know, children, babies, and adolescents. Okay. Until recently, few doctors had vaccines on hand, but they didn't give them to doctors. Offices. But the Center for Disease Control has now made a big push to give pediatricians a shot. The thinking is that pediatricians are in the best position to feel questions. That's true. Not only are they in giving vaccinations, that's true, but they are also often the household's most trusted source of health information. That's true. President Biden, now, plans last week to ship doses of Pfizer directly to the offices. And he said about 20,000 pharmacy sites were already ready to administer the vaccine to younger adults. So these are practical issues. Staggering COVID shots around the routine vaccine required for school in September, which many children are behind on because of the pandemic, will be complicated. According to the CDC, no vaccine can be given two weeks before and after a vaccine, a COVID vaccine. Pediatricians are used to talking to nervous parents about vaccines, but they can see that the COVID shot poses unique persuasion challenges. And so to help with these conversations, the American Academy of Pediatrics has posted frequently asked questions and answers on their website to help these parents. Many parents and teenagers have been stirred by false information, such as impact on fertility and menstrual cycles, said Dr. Tina Salib an adolescent medicine specialist. And I just ran around there about two months ago. Oh, okay. And with hormones running around, floating around, parents are asking if it's dangerous for so their children to be given a vaccine. The questions reflect the parents' thoughtfulness, and they need to be addressed respectfully, not just as we have said with not just blow it off. So, Doctor. Khalid, patient for Black and Latino and recent immigrants, said that many hear vaccine resistance at home, and so what do you got? You know, that's the thing, Vicki. Their parents saying well i don't want to take it how are you going to the kid to get it i know we have to validate the mental anxiety and the trust the medicine and be very open to this, what their experiences have been garrett bate and precious bright live in hollywood Florida, and have decided to get themselves vaccinated but they're holding off on their four children ages 12 to 19. it's been a tough year two of the children attended school in person two are remote yet even though vaccination offers Possibility that all the children will have more engaged, carefree life. Miss Wright wants to know how others, their age, their first, you first. Well, what I know, you take the vaccine. Some people feel sick. It, it Last a couple hours or day. My immune system is stronger than the kids, and I don't know if they would shake off the effects as quickly as mine. Of course, that's maybe you think. For some teenagers, anxious about bringing the virus home to vulnerable relatives, the vaccine represents liberation. The kids have side envy. Dr. Nicole Baldwin, a pediatrician in Cincinnati, whose health-related TikTok videos now feature one for the Pfizer vaccine. She said she was surprised how many excited teenagers were how excited teenagers were about the vaccine. And they'll say, have you trans- it? It? Yes. And the trans- you yes, yes. So there's envy thing going on. But she also has patients including those with high risk medical conditions that make them vulnerable to COVID, who aren't getting it. parents say no. When parent and child are at odds about the vaccine, the pediatrician has a very tricky paths to walk. And when divorced parents disagree, well, let me just leave that there. Not all teenagers long for the vaccine. Many hate shots. Others say that because young people often get mild cases of COVID, why risk the vaccine? I know. So Patty Finchville, a nurse practitioner who oversees vaccines in Children Minnesota, has stark evidence that in some cases young people can be serious. We know that children have had this multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome. Okay. It's been pretty bad for some of the kids. Mm-hmm. The FDA's new authorization means all those patients would be eligible to be shot. If you can prevent your child ending up in the ICU with a safe vaccine, why wouldn't you do it? So Mr. Quisnell, who we talked about earlier from said the most powerful messaging for reaching older adults probably appeal just as much to younger ones focusing than rather than focusing on the fact that the stock will protect them, they seize on the idea that it will keep them from having to quarantine especially if they're exposed. They are not so afraid of the healthcare dangers from COVID, but the social losses that come along with adding 60% of his district seniors or about three hundred, students got their first dose at a mass vaccination site run by community health center. On April the 26th, some of our greatest leverage right now is you don't have to be quarantined. But while hundreds of high school seniors, in Mr. Quesnell's District Road and bus caravans recently to a mass vaccination site where they got COVID shots, and the DJ played. Mr. Quesnell said younger students would be got awesome shots during the clinic at the school with parents accompanying them. So they talked about Michael Jackson. Can't wait, for his of Northport, Florida. Can't wait. Trying to get it during the past year, his son's little love of little league mm-hmm. went on a um his beloved little the game went on high eight. The family had to spend their regular Sunday supper with grandparents. and So there are all these kinds of challenges, And uh-huh. I'm saying
0: mm-hmm. again,
1: we're hoping that as the article went on, we're hoping that now. And this article was before Moderna came out. Okay, we'll get more vaccinate and just my personal standpoint, a friend of mine, Dr. Giles Hewlett, I've been talking to him for the last two days. He lives in New York. They have thirty-three school districts and they're trying to they're in a rush now to try to get around to all the school districts before the end of school. So there is a huge push to try to get these children vaccinated in this country. Like I said, remember the number. Seventeen million. That's just seventeen more million people for us to get closer.
0: Yeah, so that's 17 million of children. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, 17 million of those children from the age of when the Pfizer came out, 17 million from the age of 12 to 15.
0: Okay. Now, I don't
1: know how many more million are included when you add on Moderna, those 15 to 17. Okay. So maybe five or six more million. So I mean, you're talking almost 20. More million people to get vaccinated that will really help
0: big time. Okay, well, you know, at least they are trying to hustle and get that done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: speaking of it, I saw the uh, the before I forget the video that Doctor, be Doctor Natalie Doe made on getting people vaccinated. Bravo to her and her group.
0: Yeah, Doctor Natalie Doe to come.
1: Right, she's doing. Doctor Natalie Doe to come. Yes yeah
0: so they yeah they do it they're doing a promo and trying to yeah spread the word to get young folks yeah. young folks like them to get them vaccinated yeah. as well yeah yeah <laughs> hey. all right well thanks d for all of that good information You're welcome. hi everyone this is dr vicki haywood doe i just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co, doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at vickidofitness.com. To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vickidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today, we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 65. And so, first article, sleeping too little in middle age may increase dementia risk. And this is uh, what a study finds. It was written in the New York Times. And it says, the research tracking thousands of people from age 50 on suggests those who sleep six hours or less a night are more likely to develop dementia in their late 70s. Could getting too little sleep increase your chances of developing dementia? I'm in trouble. (laughs) I say, well, uh, I don't know, because I'm a late nighter, you know, shoot. I
1: know, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, let's see. For years, researchers have pondered this and other questions about how sleep relates to cognitive decline. Answers have been elusive because it is hard to know if insufficient sleep is a symptom of the brain changes that underlie dementia or if it can actually help cause those changes. Now, a large new study reports some of the most pervasive findings yet to suggest that people who don't get enough sleep in their 50s and 60s may be more likely to develop dementia when they are older. The research published Tuesday in the journal Nature Communications, has limitations, but also several strengths. It followed nearly 8,000 people in Britain for about 25 years, beginning when they were 50 years old. It found that those who consistently reported sleeping six hours or less on an average weeknight were about 30% more likely than people who regularly got seven hours sleep. And that's defined as normal sleep in this study, seven hours. To be diagnosed with dementia, those that got less than that, to be diagnosed with dementia nearly three decades later. So those that reported six hours or less, they were diagnosed with dementia nearly three decades later. Now, the professor, Dr. Christine Yaff, a professor of neurology and psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco, who was not involved in the study, said it would be really unlikely that almost three decades earlier, this sleep was a symptom of dementia. So it's a great study in providing evidence that sleep is really a risk factor. Pre-dementia brain changes like accumulations of protein associated with Alzheimer's are known to begin about 15 to 20 years before people exhibit memory or thinking problems. So sleep patterns within that time frame could be considered an emerging effect of the disease. That has posed a chicken or egg question of which comes first. The sleep problems or the pathology. And this was said by Dr. Eric Muzik, a neurologist and co-director of the Center of Biological Rhythms and Sleep at Washington University in St. Louis, who was not involved in the new research. He said, I don't know that this study necessarily seals the deal, but it gets closer because it has a lot of people who were relatively young, There's a decent chance that they are capturing people in middle age before they have Alzheimer's disease pathology or plaques and tangles in their brain. Drawing on medical records and other data from a prominent study of British civil servants call Whitehall II, which began in the mid-1980s. The researchers tracked how many hours 7,959 participants said they slept in reports filed six times between 1985 and 2016. By the end of the study, 521 people had been diagnosed with dementia at an average age of 77. The team was able to adjust the several behaviors and characteristics that might influence people's sleep patterns or dementia risk, and this was said by the author of the study, Severin uh, Sabia, an epidemiologist at INSERM, the French public health research center. Those included, and these are the um, behaviors and characteristics that might influence people's sleep patterns, and they were smoking, alcohol consumption, how physically active people were, body mass index, fruit and vegetable consumption, education level, marital status, and conditions like hypertension, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. To clarify the sleep-dementia relationship further, the researchers separated out people who had mental illnesses before age 65. Depression is considered a risk factor for dementia and mental health disorders are quite strongly linked with sleep disturbances. And this was said by Dr. Sabia. The studies analyzed of participants without mental illnesses found a similar association between short sleepers and increased risk of dementia. The correlation also held whether or not people were taking sleep medication or whether or not they had a mutation called ApoE4 that makes people more likely to develop Alzheimer's, Dr. uh, Sabia said. The researchers found no general differences between men and women. Now, this was said by Pamela Lutzey, The study found, this is what she said, the study found a modest, but I would say somewhat important association of short sleep and dementia risk, and and she's an associate professor of epidemiology and community health at the University of Minnesota, who was not, she was not involved in the research. She said, short sleep is very common, and because of that, even if it's modestly associated with dementia risk, it can be important at a societal level. Short sleep is something that we have control over, something that we can change. And so the research goes on to say that the study, it had limitations that prevented from um, proving that inadequate sleep can help cause dementia, and most of the sleep data was definitely, it was self-reported, and that's a subjective measure that isn't always accurate. And so at one point in this study, nearly 4,000 participants did have sleep duration measured by the accelerometers, and that data was consistent with their self-reported sleep times, the researchers said. Still, that quantitative measure came late in the study when participants were about 69 making it less useful than if it had been obtained at younger ages. In addition, most of the participants were white and better educated and healthier than the overall British population and in relying on electronic medical records for dementia diagnosis, researchers might have missed some cases. They also could not identify exact types of dementia. There are compelling scientific theories about why too little sleep might exacerbate the risk of dementia, especially Alzheimer's. Studies have found that uh, cerebral spinal fluid levels of amyloid, a protein that clumps into plaques in Alzheimer's, Go up if you sleep-deprive people, and this was said by <laughs> Dr. Muzek. Other studies of amyloid and another Alzheimer protein, tau, suggest that sleep is important for clearing proteins from the brain or limiting the production. One theory is that the, the more people are awake, the longer their neurons are active and the more amyloid is produced. Dr. Muzak said, another theory is that during sleep, fluid flowing in the brain helps clear out excess proteins. So inadequate sleep means more protein buildup, he said. Some scientists also think that getting sufficient time in certain sleep phases may be important for clearing proteins. Dr. Luxie said, too little sleep might also function indirectly fueling conditions that are, that are known dementia risk factors. This is what she said. Think of someone who is staying up too late and having snacks or because they get very little sleep, they have low motivation for physical activity. That could predispose them to obesity and then things like diabetes and hypertension that have been pretty robustly linked to dementia risk. Another theory is a shared genetic link. And this was said by Dr. Raff. Genetic pathways or profiles that go along with both shorter sleep and increased risk of Alzheimer's. She and others said it's also possible that the sleep-dementia relationship is bidirectional with poor sleep-fueling dementia, which further reduces sleep which worsens dementia. Experts seem to agree that researching the sleep and dementia connection is challenging and that previous studies have sometimes yielded confusing findings. For some studies, people who sleep too long, usually measured nine hours or more, appear to have greater dementia risk. But several of those studies were smaller or had older participants. In the new study, results hinted at increased risk for long sleepers defined as eight hours or more because they weren't enough nine-hour sleepers. But the association was not statistically significant. Experts said that they couldn't think of scientific explanations for why long sleep could increase dementia risk and that it might reflect another underlying health condition. The new study also examined whether people's sleep changed over time. There appeared to be slightly increased dementia risk in people who shift from short to normal sleep, Dr. Sabia said. A pattern she believes more reflects that they slept too little at age 50 and needed more sleep later because of developing dementia. So, if short sleep is a culprit, how can people get more Z's? Well, Dr. Raff said, in general, sleeping pills and a lot of other things don't give you as deep of a sleep. And we really want the deep sleep because that seems to be the time when things get cleared out and it's more restorative. She also says that naps are okay to catch up on missed sleep, but getting a good night's sleep should make naps unnecessary. People with sleep disorders or apnea should consult sleep specialists. This is what Dr. Raff said. For others, Dr. Lucy said, having a regular sleep schedule, avoiding caffeine and alcohol before bedtime, and removing phones and computers from the bedroom are among the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's sleep hygiene guidelines. But much about sleep remains puzzling. The new study provides a pretty strong piece of evidence that sleep is important in middle age. And that's what Dr. Muzak said. But we still have a lot to learn about that and how the relationship actually occurs in people and what to do about it. So yeah, I guess our sleep hygiene is that we better get more than five hours of sleep per night. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, there's been a lot of controversy about that. I wasn't aware of the relationship between that and dementia, but you know, there's a lot you know, obesity, and obesity, and all kinds of medical situations associated with not getting enough sleep. Although some people say, "What is enough sleep?" But I think there is a, a clear correlation. Between age and people not sleep as well because i find that a lot of people that are closer to my age you know don't sleep eight hours nine hours at night it's some odd uh, so that's a very interesting article thank you that was great
0: i know so they are doing a lot of sleep studies right i do know that you probably shouldn't if you can't sleep you probably shouldn't be Looking at TV and eating all those unhealthy snacks.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's just not, That's that's just a, a <laughs> you know a plan for disaster. What do you call that? A perfect storm for disaster.
0: A perfect storm for disaster. You know. A storm for disaster. Yes. High, hypertension, diabetes, and everything else. <laughs>
1: exactly. Right.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And unfortunately, again, COVID has contributed to a lot of all of this. I think. The jury is still out. In the next two years, we're going to see, I mean, we're seeing it in the hospital. Now people who have waited to take care of themselves are now coming in with heart disease and obesity-related issues and, you know, diabetes. Uh, uh, Just today, I saw somebody had, you know, not been going to the doctor because of COVID and now comes in and immediately needs to be on dialysis. So this is what we're dealing with now.
0: I know. I know. So yeah. So we're, we're encouraging folks, you know, now that people are getting vaccinated and, and we want you to get vaccinated, then, you know, schedule, because that's what I'm in the process of doing. Schedule your wellness visits with your doctor now. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Cleanings and
1: all those things. They were talking on NPR yesterday. Colonized mammograms and all these things have been put off and a lot of people are coming in with stage four or whatever it is that they have and it's too late whereas if it had been found earlier you know chemotherapy could have been started surgery or whatever so it's real
0: it's very real it is real so let's do all we can that's exactly yeah, it definitely well d you want to do the next article then
1: right i can do this and i can actually do the ama one on fighting racism so that's some od related cancers are on the rise. Well, no surprise. Overall, mortality for cancer continues to decline. But since 2011, that decline has slowed for obesity associated cancers likely due to the obesity epidemic. The mortality chance obesity associated cancers mirrors cancers, mirror those for heart disease, according to Christie Avery, PhD from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. They, after four decades, Annual improvements in heart disease mortality slowed in 2011. This slowing has been associated with the obesity epidemic, they explained in JAMA, generally the American Medical Association Network Open. Despite carcinogenic changes induced by obesity, a parallel deceleration in total cancer mortality rate during the same period has not been observed. The authors however, not all have been linked to obesity. Therefore, we compared 20-year U.S. mortality to cancer and heart disease, including both cold cancer and separating cancer deaths for obesity-associated cancers and cancers not associated with obesity. Analyzing CDC data, they found that deaths from obesity-associated cancers declined from 66 per 100,000 persons in 1999 to 58 per 100,000 in 2011 annual rate change of minus 1.19. However, in 2018, there were 54 deaths per 100,000 from obesity-associated cancers, so an estimated annual rate of change since 2011 of minus 0.83. This trend differs from mortality rates for cancers not associated with obesity. The decline in mortality rates of these cancers continue to increase from an annual estimated rate of change of minus 1.62 from 1999 to 2011 to minus 2.29 from 2011 to 2018, p-value of less than 0.001. Mortality rate for all cancers also appears to decline, driven by the chance of cancers not linked with obesity, the researchers said. Slowing improvements in obesity-associated cancer mortality were obscured when considering total cancer mortality these findings potentially signal a changing profile of cancer-associated mortality that may parallel trends previously observed for heart disease as the consequences of the obesity epidemic are understood, Avery's group said. The prevalence of obesity has tripled during the past 50 years, and approximately two of every five United States adults are now classified as obese. In addition to fueling a public health crisis, financial costs projected to double every decade to approximately 900 billion. Wow. B. Mm-hmm. By 2030, obesity also has the potential to reverse gains in life expectancy achieved during the past century, with detrimental effects on car cigarette smoking. Smoking, rather, they caution. The researchers analyzed data on more than 50 million deaths in 1999 to 2018 in the CDC wide-ranging Online data for epidemiological research called Wonder database. Half of the individuals included in the study were female. Eighty percent were white. Twelve percent were black. Mean age, seventy-three. Underlying causes of death were assigned based on ICD codes. The following types of cancers were considered obesity-related: esophageal, upper upper stomach, colon, erect, liver, gallbladder, pancreas, postmenopausal breast, uterine, ovarian, kidney. Tit- meningioma, an thyroid, multiple myeloma. Is there anything left?
0: I know, right?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. post breast cancer and premenopausal breast cancer are not distinguished by ICD 10 codes, age 50. The ICD codes for everybody out there we can go well these are the codes that we use for billing as well and also to make diagnosis. Okay. And so these because and postmenopausal breast cancer are not distinguished by ICD-10 codes. Age 50 was used as a proxy for menopausal status, according to Avery and colleagues. So postmenopausal, I think, was started at 50. They use the Poisson regression to estimate annual relative rates of change in age-adjusted mortality rates in the overall population, as well as sex rate, race, and ethnicity. Dad, i got to go back and dig out my statistics for the Poisson regression. Mm.
0: Wow. Since
1: there's an annual relative rate of change in mortality rates before and after 2011, were evaluated using the wall test. The largest of the decline in obesity-associated cancer mortality rates found to occur in females. Estimated annual rate change of minus 1.45 in 1999 to 2011 and, a, and minus 0.91 in 2000 from 2011 to 2018 with a significant P-value of assessment. 0.001, and in non-Hispanic white, minus 1.16 in 1999 to 2011, and minus 0.68 in 2011 to 2018, significant p-value of 0.001. These findings are challenging to interpret because several of obesity has increased during the same time for both U.S. women and men, as well as for most racial and ethnic groups, long-standing disparities, and obesity also exist among Hispanic and non Hispanic Native Hawaiian and Black populations. An important limitation of the study was its reliance on unvalidated death certificate data, which can lead to inaccuracies in estimating mortality rates. Avery's group pointed out, in addition, he point, they pointed out, in addition, the study was limited to the four racial categories included in the Wonder database American Indian or Alaska Native, Asian or Pacific Islander, Black or African Mm. Definitely some issues with obesity-related cancers. I think the jury is still out. I think there's more to come, again, as we learn about the impact of obesity after this almost 18 months of COVID. So, yeah, that was good.
0: Yeah, so at the end of the day, we do need to really focus on, you know, maintaining our weight. Ooh, we
1: we've got to get those DMIs down. Yeah. And, and ha- so I think you talked about it on the show, how fat produces all these hormones. And it produces, it, it's almost like fat is its own organ.
0: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. How
1: yes, Haven't yes. you talked about that?
0: Yes. And I need to probably have a, a need th- to come back and talk, talk about, about
1: that. fat can be its own organ.
0: Yeah, the adipose cells. Yes, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you you still can do the AMA one, or do you want to... I can do it real briefly. I can do it real quick. Okay, cool. Okay, go ahead.
1: The American Medical Association, they released a three-year strategic plan. You know, a lot of these organizations, and this is important, because I talked about this last week at the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. You know, the COVID epidemic shines a light on a very unacceptable situation with structural racism in this country. And a lot of organizations have come out with strategic plans on trying to Dismantle, suffer racism in the organizations. And I just brought this up because the AMA, American Medical Association, which many of us black physicians did not belong to for many years because we didn't feel that they had our, you know, they, they didn't really have a lot of things that focused on diversity. Okay. So the new strategic plan, the framework of the plan is driven by the need for equity-centered solutions to confront harm produced by systemic racism and other forms of oppression for black, black, Asian and other people of color, as well as people who identify as LGBTQ. Its urgency is underscored by ongoing circumstances, including inequities exacerbated, like I said, by the COVID pandemic, the ongoing brutality and hate crimes targeting Asian, black, and brown communities. So what were the tenets, what are the five tenets of this strategic plan? And I'll just mention them. Embedded equity and racial justice the AMA by expanding capacity for understanding and implementing anti-racist equity strategies via practices, programming, policies, and culture. Build alliances with marginalized physicians and other stakeholders. That's why the National Medical Association formed their own group because they couldn't be a part of the AMA. Okay. Through developing structures and coalitions to elevate the experiences and ideas of historically marginalized and minoritized health. Push upstream to address all determinants of health and root causes of inequity. Some of the social determinants of health was what caused a lot of black and brown people to suffer more than a lot of people from COVID. Mm. Ensure equitable structures and opportunities and innovation through embedding and advancing racial justice and health equity with equity within existing American Medical Association efforts to advance digital health. And lastly, foster pathways for true racial healing, reconciliation, and transformation for the American Medical Association's past by accounting for how policies and processes excluded, discriminated against, and harmed communities, and by amplifying and integrating the narrative of historically marginalized physicians and patients. I just thought that was really good.
0: Yes, it I so,
1: think that they have focused on. I just thought that was really, you know, we... We as black physicians have complained about the American Medical Association for so many, many years. But I think when they've done something good, we need to bring it to the forefront. So bravo to
0: them. Yeah, bravo to them. But a lot of the organizations, you know, ACSM, that's why I'm, you know, I've been involved, American College of Sports Medicine. And so they're talking a lot about diversity for all of us. So a lot of people trying to get these structures uh, breaking down racism, mm-hmm. so we'll see. Cause we've been talking about it, but we will see. At least they, they. Um, okay. At least they're talking about it more, and then actually getting right. getting um, strategic plans. What you think?
1: Right, exactly. And I would, you know, I wanted to, you know, good have a strategic plan, but I would also like to see after this things implemented. Things
0: implemented. I need to see some delivery some deliverables, some tangible results. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Dee, this ends our show. So, do you have some tips that we should think about?
1: Again, I want to reemphasize to everybody: please get vaccinated. Moderna and Pfizer are now emergency use authorization for from twelve to sixteen for the Pfizer, and 12, 7, 12 to fifteen for the Pfizer, and twelve to seventeen for the Moderna. Uh, Get your kids out and get them vaccinated. I thought the article about sleeping too little in middle age may increase the mental risk. I think the jury is still out on that, but they're still looking at, you know, sleeping patterns. But I think also one of the more important articles that we talked about today are obesity-related cancers. And, again, we need to, as we continue to say on this show, know your numbers. Mm -hmm. need to start now getting back to trying to get the BMI down to below obesity level.
0: That's it. And and what's also important too when we talk about obesity, you know, looking at your waist to hip ratio, that ratio. Yes, knowing you know you Correct. can't you can't have that belly, that belly out there, you know, with all that that fat. Oh <laughs> man, you gotta tighten up that. That's it. Gotta tight. All right. And how it can really be tightened up by honing in what we always talk about, exercise and healthy eating, right? Well, and as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidoefitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at
1: vickidofitness.com.